Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about ten. <laughs> She's a ten. Ooh. He actually gives her an eleven. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to... The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm Brian Connolly. Why are you here? I'm also hosting, I Oh, guess. okay, yes, yes, you're the other host. We're the co-hosts of this show, this very positive show. <laughs> this show, you know, if you, ever, if you go and you try and give us a 10 out of 10 rating, you can't. This film broke the in, uh, in, on the, in, in the world of the internet. You can only get as high as a five. But back in the late 70s, you could be a 10. You and Bo Derek <laughs> could be 10s. Five, five is better for me. 10 is too much. I feel like once you get into like, like what does six, seven, eight mean? It's just like it gets so ridiculous. Unless you're dealing with fractions, <clears throat> then 10 makes sense. Are we just talking about rating the looks of women and i guess men do women are there are there 10 men or is it just ten, was, was that rating scale you know we should tell let's let's back up here we, we, we jump right into the deep end of this we're talking about a <laughs> film called 10 from 1979 directed by blake edwards and if you went back to our if you listen to our introductory episode brian Connolly made the bold statement that this 10 was his favorite film by not now, Blake Edwards didn't rank as your favorite director, but he is one of your favorite directors. Obviously, he directed your favorite films. So, like, yeah, this is a movie that I just never really saw. I never really wanted to see, and then I don't even remember why. I think because I watched Blind Date, and I was like, I need to watch more later Blake Edwards because I was a big fan of the Pink Panther movies. And I watched Ten. I saw. It, I think I probably watched saw it seven years ago. And like immediately within the first 30 minutes, I was like, this is my favorite movie I've ever seen. This is the type of movie I've been waiting to see. This is the type of movie I want to make. This is the movie that I was waiting for, but it was just made well, you know, long before (laughs) seven years ago. And since then I've been trying to be the Pied Piper of this movie, trying to tell everyone that I know about it. And some love it, a lot of them hate it. But you know, I'm just gonna keep. I'm gonna keep talking about it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, get ready, listeners, to be enlightened into the ways of <laughs> Ten and Blake Edwards. So let's play a clip and then come back and talk about it. I'm telling something's done. What's fair about a man getting older and looking more? Distinguished and worldly, and a woman getting older and looking old. There's nothing fair about that, Mary Lewis. 
don't know why, but I wasn't expecting Prokofiev. I went to see Romeo and Juliet at the Royal Opera House when I was 16 with Nureyev and Fontaine. It really wiped me out. I like different music for different things. I like to listen to rock. I like to dance to jazz. What do you like to do to Prokofiev? Not only Prokofiev, Ravel. Did you ever do it to Ravel's bolero? Mm. Oh. And my uncle turned me on to it. <coughs> my stepmother's younger brother. I used to spend weekends at his house in Surrey when I was going to school in England. Uncle Fred said the Polaro was the most descriptive sex music ever written. And he proved it. And of course, another nice fact about this movie it made it so Bolero was a hit record again in 1979, and everyone was buying Bolero because everybody wanted to try to make love to Bolero. And I guess to this day, it's still insanely expensive to get the rights to it to use in a movie because of this movie 41 years later. <laughs> have you have you tried uh, making love to... Do they say making love in the movie, or do they say fucking to bolero i think they say what do they say do they they use the they use the fuck word in the in the film do they yeah yeah anyway. uh, i think they do but i don't i don't use such foul language <clears throat> okay well so I'm i'll gonna, I'm i'll gonna be polite i'll do the heavy lifting there but that is <laughs> just if you're a big fan that is Ravel, who's making those making the big dollars on the on the, yeah, the licensing or his great great grandchildren uh <laughs> You know, get some money. They they wouldn't they might not exist if it weren't for this song, for the for this exactly. music. Exactly. <laughs> the live the live performances of this song were just insane Caligula esque orgies. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> oh my! Anyway. Oh, you can just see all these people, and that would be. Why wasn't that scene in this in this movie? That would have been great. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about ten. The 1979 <clears throat> mega hit from Blake Edwards. Mega hit. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Blake Edwards, you know, was a hit director in the 60s. He made Breakfast at Tiffany's. He made the Pink Panther films. Like, these were popular movies of their time. Much loved, still much loved movies. And then sort of the, the world changed and movies changed. And he kind of floundered in the 70s. He was sort of looked at is maybe like old fashioned or kind of out of touch. And he made a lot of flops. He made some movies that just nobody saw. And then in 1979, he decided to kind of make something a little more uh, modern and possibly personal. And it ended up being a great hit, a huge hit. Like this movie made a lot of money and it has much iconic imagery in it, or at least for its time it did. And, uh, yeah, it just sort of was a movie that all of America had to see or talked about for a while. And I, you know, I really, 
love this movie a lot because it's the it really like so many filmmakers like when they transitioned into making stuff in the 70s if they'd made movies before they were really excited to like oh we can now have more graphic violence we can now have more nudity and this movie kind of definitely leans into that this is a director who made things since the 50s who's like now i can make the r-rated sex and slapstick movie that i've wanted to make but like the censors wouldn't let me but now i can go all in on this and he does like this is like classic and maybe one of the first classic like r-rated sex and slapstick movies where it goes all in on the slapstick all in on the sex and nudity it is a definite like movie for grown-ups uh and, it, and it's and it's great because it's a really fun crazy silly comedy for adults which is a thing that you don't get often and the plot is pre it's pretty simple in a way uh so there's a character dudley moore plays george weber and he is a composer he is kind of getting into his middle age he, the movie starts with him celebrating his 42nd birthday we all wish we could look as good as Dudley Moore on our 42nd birthday he's dating uh, an actress singer named Samantha played by Julie Andrews and he's just having a hard time dealing with this getting older and maybe possibly settling down way of life uh, it's, it's especially hard since his LA neighbors are constantly having mad sex orgies with every 70s porn star that you can think of at this at these parties and he's constantly looking at the telescope wishing he was there wishing that was his life he can't like leave the house without craning his neck to look at any young woman walking by and then his universe totally falls apart when he sees a beautiful beautiful young woman played by Bo Derek going to her wedding and he just locks it on her face and he just can't stop thinking about her. And that kind of kickstarts this whole horrible decision <laughs> to just go all in on trying to follow this lady, despite the fact that she's getting has gotten married. And it takes him all the way to Mexico where she's having her honeymoon. And he just it's it's like the, the goal of, of, of George is to how can he have sex with Bo Derek's character and along the way he tries and fails and tries and fails and it's really good and just like a lot of movies of this genre that kind of happened after 10 in the end he realizes that he shouldn't have left where he started started and goes back home so it's a it's a nice little journey of middle-aged failure and mistake and uh horribly placed uh, horniness and uh, impotence at the same time um yeah so that's kind of the movie in a nutshell and because it's a blake edwards movie there is ton like you know tons of sight gags tons of great slapstick if you don't like if you don't think it's funny when someone falls down you can hate this movie and you'll hate every blake edwards movie because that's his main thing a comedy is crash a thing into a thing or man fall down uh, and this movie has both of those things in it. <laughs> and yeah, I just, you know, I love this movie so much. Like, I can't, I can't get enough of watching Blake Edwards 10. Great. Uh, well, why don't you tell us how the world is wrong about this film, Brian? So, here's the thing. Like, this movie was a hit. You know, in a lot of movies we've talked about, were failures at the box office like Mordecai and movies like that that nobody saw oh yeah rub this it in movie... rub it in why don't you Brian fine <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that's oh, a bad thing 
<laughs> it's not. But, okay. <laughs> but this was a movie that everybody in 1979 saw. Like at least everybody over the age of 17, and many and under the later, age of 17 who got <laughs> managed to sneak yeah, copies and, and of it in some ca- way. Uh, yeah, and once the kids with HBO, they could see it. Uh, but like, so the, and this was an iconic movie. Like, it was sort of the movie of its time. It was a very zeitgeisty thing. Like they're like Bo Derek running down the beach with her kind of braided hair was such an image that was on posters that was mimicked. And there's so many movies that parody that image from like uh, every, every which way but loose or which what's the second of the orangutan movies? Is it every which way but any loose? which way you can? One? Every which way you can has Ruth Gordon doing that scene. Uh, and even up until the early aughts, you had like Big Mama's House 2 has Martin Lawrence in drag emulating this scene. It was just such a thing that people like to make fun of. And it was like this, it, this striking image. And women went to get the four hours of hair braiding done so they can look like the beautiful Bo Derek. And then totally unaware that hit, they were appropriating black hairstyles in, a, in <laughs> what would become a controversial move, uh, move in later days. But yes, those cornrows were very hot for white ladies, blonde white ladies very hot. in 1979, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then this also kind of kickstarted a whole genre of movies, half of which are directed by Blake Edwards, of men trying to have sex and get laid or try to deal with their midlife crisis or boring humdrum life and just falling flat on their face. Like you can draw a direct line of this to like an S something wild or an after hours or, or even eyes wide shut, which we can talk about later. But like, so big deal movie here we are in 2020. Nobody knows what this movie is. You can you you I think you told me that you tried to make a joke about it to a dentist office and they didn't had no they thought you were crazy. Yeah. No one knows cuz I had I had had a root canal and I had uh I had there's a great scene where Dudley Moore is trying to make phone calls while drinking copious amounts of brandy having just had novocaine shot into his mouth and his wife played by Julie Andrews is pretty sure that there's some, I, I can't, that someone's broken into the house and is making obscene phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm done, I'm done. Anyway, yes, people don't, so that 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 bit of uh, cultural resonance has not, has not stuck. But to me, any jokes about trying to talk while on Novocaine you got to reference ten. It's the be timeless. It's the gold standard of Novocaine humor. And then I feel like there's also a bigger argument to the world is long for me in that like Blake Edwards I feel doesn't quite get the credit he deserves for being a really great filmmaker. Like I think people kind of stop with the Pink Panther movies and they never look past that. They never go beyond that and recognize. Like there's not a lot of. There's a very small few filmmakers who just did mostly comedies and really were very good at it and excel at it. That's not really a thing today. Like you have like Judd Apatow and Paul Feig and you have a few, but it's like the, the, the commit all in to like, I'm going to master and make comedies for my career. You know, it's, it's, it's an admirable task and he was very good at it, I feel. And so I think like people need to talk about him more. Like when he's watched any of those dumb documentaries about film history or whenever they do lists or whatever, he's always absent. 
it's sad to me <laughs> because he is so good to me. Like what he did, I feel heightened film comedy, brought it up a level. Um, so yeah, tell the world is wrong about Tim. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be a quite, this is going to be quite an interesting exploration uh, because you are <laughs> very, very, you are a, you're a diehard Blake, Ed, Blake Edwards guy. I have seen a lot of Blake Edwards and watched even more in the last week in preparation for this. <laughs> and uh, since we are in the the uh, Chapel Connolly, I want to <laughs> want to be respectful but honest as well. <laughs> so, uh, can I tell you a little bit about my uh, my experience with this film? Yeah, please. So, it can be pretty much broken up into uh, three three distinct periods of appreciation. So as so this came out in 1979, I would have been 11 years old. Do the math. Uh, I think I think the first we second second Playboy magazine discussion uh, on the show. I think the first Playboy magazine I got a hold of had Bo Derek on the cover, and I think it was for actually it was probably for uh, promoting the Tarzan the Ape Man film that came out after uh, a couple yeah. of films after this for her, where uh, some of her weaknesses as an actor started to be revealed. Um, but, but at the time, as you said, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Bo Derek. And it was sort of like, for me, I remember that just a little bit earlier, everyone was excited about Farrah Fawcett and her images mm-hmm. on posters. And I didn't quite, I knew it was a big deal, but I didn't understand why it just didn't, hadn't, the my own sort of chemical cocktail inside hadn't shifted, so I was like, "Everyone likes that, but I don't understand it." But I'm gonna pretend that I I do. And then the, with the Boderic, I was like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> so then I was one of those kids who eventually saw the film and was really confused because this film is not for not me for about. I mean, the only the only thing that I could relate to is how much shorter Dudley Moore was than than all the women in the film because I at the time was also much shorter I think so I wonder there's always been this part of me like is that part of the the hook like some psychological thing of like there's this tiny man chasing after these big beautiful women or being having big beautiful women be angry at him I mean it's just sort of like like okay so I can kind of relate to that so anyway a spoiler alert Dudley Moore chases after Bo Derek and eventually once like she when they finally meet and he gets to know her a little bit, she's pretty much like, Hey, let's have sex. And he's like, (laughs) and he can't, he refuses to. And so it's as a kid, you're like, what is this trying to tell me about how sex works? This is really confusing. This is, uh, uh, well, and, and that's he, also follow that that's followed a scene where he's trying to have sex with D. Wallace Stone and can't get an erection. So it's just like you're also being like, what is impotence? How does an eleven year old understand what that means? Well, and the way like, that scene is framed, <laughs> if you don't come in with your own context of knowing, of having been through or or heard of or had some experience with that dynamic, the way the scene is written. It's her fault. She thinks it's her fault. And yeah. unless you know, like as I watch it now, excuse me, 
as I watch it now as an adult, I'm like, oh, that's so shitty that she feels that way. But when I watch it as a kid, it's like, oh, yeah, it probably is her fault. Yeah. Go go after (laughs) Bo Derek. That's what you came here for. (laughs) Priorities. Why'd you get distracted? (laughs) Of course, you've been chasing after Bo Bo Derek. You're in love with her. You like this is how it's all going to end up. You're going to end up with Bo Derek. So, of course, you're not going to be turned on by some (laughs) other lady you meet at a bar. Uh, but then, yeah, so anyway, so then they have this, the classic scene where they meet and she tells him about Bolero and then he's like, I don't know, this is all so weird. You're so young and strange and I, I just, I I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, so, but you know, it, even though the experience of watching the film as a kid was a little bit confusing and maybe even a little bit of a letdown, again, I didn't have much, really any standards to really go by. It was a movie it happened. I had the experience of it. And then what was left was Bo Derek. Memories of Bo Derek and that Playboy magazine. <laughs> uh, so, so then years later, probably like, you know, probably five, six, seven years ago, I rewatched the film. And I think I had kind of the experience you had where I was like, oh, my God, this is actually a really good mature film. I get like I want that experience where you watch and you're like, oh, I get so much of it now. Yeah, this is really mm-hmm. good. This is really good. Um, and then, in preparation for this, I was all excited. In fact, you were gonna, you wanted to talk about a different Blake Edwards film. I was like, you should just talk about Ten. It's your favorite film. <laughs> it's a great film. I I have this whole you know backstory with it. But let's have a let's talk about it. And then I watched it, and I just got so angry at the Dudley Moore character. I was really. And it made me kind of angry at the movie. And this was this is definitely where the world is wrong. Like I'm I'm sitting here being like, oh, this is my third different reaction to this film. This is definitely a me <laughs> thing. It's definitely a me thing. We could talk about why. But it led me to watch because you had said that there this is part of a trilogy of middle aged uh I don't know, middle aged decline and depression movies from Blake Edwards, yeah. including uh, the Man Who Loved Women with Burt Reynolds and Skin Deep mm-hmm. with John mm-hmm. Ritter. Mm-hmm. And I found I was I was equally frustrated. I was definitely frustrated with, with John Ritter. Uh, and of those three, I lo- the, the one that I found that I like the most is The Man Who Loved Women with Burt Reynolds. Uh, there was just, we can maybe discuss a little bit about that. But that, I went, so I was like, okay, well now, okay, so... I got to keep exploring this dynamic even further. And then I remembered that around the time that 10 came out, the follow-up, Bo Derek's follow-up, was a film called Change of Seasons with Anthony Hopkins and Shirley MacLaine, where Anthony Hopkins plays a professor who's having a midlife crisis and having an affair with Bo Derek. And he's also, he annoys me so much. He's really, he really bugs me. And uh, but I have to say of all of them, of all of them, Change of Seasons, I think, is the best of these, because in the end, it's a happy story for Shirley MacLaine. It halfway through the movie, it shifts to like you think it's going to be about Anthony Hopkins and his affairs. But it turns out to be about Shirley MacLaine and her awakening as a woman and eventually leaving this bad husband, Um, which I'm sorry. So this all brings me back around to like that. I think I just have there's something about the dynamic of films from that era about middle-aged guys. Basically, 
I think particularly sort of mistreating or m- not appreciating the wom- the wife in their life and chasing after mm-hmm. some young thing and something about the way the movie's prejudices kind of are about that. And I that's one of the things we'll I want I'll definitely want to talk about is the way that uh, that Blake Edwards uses Julie Andrews in these films. It's such a, a, a conflicting mixed bag of, like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to think about this. <laughs> so basically, I come to this conversation with an open mind, with a very curious to know your thoughts about it, and with ver- with a very strong emotional reaction, not just to this <laughs> film, but to this sort of genre of film from the early 80s. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I yeah. wanted to say is that it it seems like it's worth mentioning that this film comes... So this is a break. This is a new kind of thing for Blake Edwards. But this comes out in 1979, the year after Annie Hall won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And so I feel like we, it, we should mention that this this has got to be a reaction. Something about Annie Hall, of watching Annie Hall for uh, Blake Edwards must have been clicked and been like, Oh, I should start making adult, like adult sophisticated sex comedies in a way that uh, I haven't before. And this is where my judgment comes in. And I I have to say that his swing at that, like basically once he gets into that realm, I'm just uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm much less interested in the the world of the characters that he's maybe it's just a California, New York thing. But the California, <laughs> the California rich guy, just has like just seems a lot less interesting to me than the New York art guy, which I feel like yeah. is the is the Woody Allen thing. So anyway, that's cards <laughs> on the table. That's where I stand with all of this. But like, can you imagine what it would have been like if Woody Allen made a grown up movie, but with the humor and slapstick of like Sleeper and Bananas? Like that would have been great because I feel like I love I love all that early Woody Allen stuff like I like the like Annie Hall and Manhattan and uh, all all that and but they're definitely more a more mature Woody Allen like it's still really funny and it definitely is like here is an R rated comedy that can be really silly but for adults but he definitely kind of do does away with the more higher slapstick stuff he did in the stuff pre Annie Hall and I feel like Blake Edwards maybe saw. <laughs> Where this guy went with his movies was like, wait a minute, I can make my R-rated sex movie, but still keep the really dumb guy falling down a cliff and slipping and falling in a swimming pool. And like, you don't have to lose that and still be make it a grown up movie. And I think that's what I like. I, I feel like that's an interesting, like watching his career in Woody Allen is actually really great because like, I think those are the two guys from the seventies into the eighties into the, into the nineties that like, stuck by like i'm gonna keep making r-rated comedies like move like as as like, porkies will show up and all these sort of animal house and like movies that are like r-rated but clearly for under 18 they're gonna make the r-rated sex stuff silly comedies for people over 40 and i really like that and in a way that's it gets similar to judd apatow ish like half a judd apatow stuff i think is that and not but like i really like i think that's a i think Annie Hall is a definitely 
that totally makes sense to me that that like oh like in my mind i can see blake edwards seeing that and being like oh there's an audience for this kind of thing i, I can go back to making comedies because the stuff he made in the 70s other than the pink panther which he just kind of felt obligated to keep doing he was making movies that nobody really saw like he did like he, there's darling lily which is sort of like this big bloated musical he did uh Wild Rovers, which is really good, but it's just like a, his weird take on like the nihilistic. Wait, 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 wait a second. What? This is the guy who refuses to see What's Up, Doc, because Ryan O'Neill is in it. This is your I hate Ryan O'Neill bona fides <laughs> are swiftly dwindling. You keep giving exceptions to Ryan O'Neill for films. <laughs> like you said that it was that you accepted him in. Uh, Oh, God damn it. The Kubrick. B- Barry Lyndon. And Barry, you accepted him in Barry Lyndon, but you and but you but you, and you refuse to see What's Up Doc, but you celebrate the Wild Rovers. You it's, gotta explain it's it. It's a great me, movie. How it's many really Ryan O'Neill good. films are in your list? Do you accept? I like Wild okay, Rovers. I let's, think it's a really good movie. Okay, then let's unpack this. Okay. How many other Ryan O'Neill films are you okay uh, with? Tough Guys Don't Dance. Great. He's great in that. The uh What's the one where he invents the see-through pants? What is that movie called? So Fine? So Fine? So Fine. Uh, you know, Paper Moon's great. Um, I'm sure I've seen other Ryan O'Neill movies. You need to watch What's Up, Doc, <laughs> before we speak again, or I'm going to be very <sighs> angry. Yeah. Is it a musical? <laughs> no, it's not a musical. It's a, it is a film. Okay, so let's go back. It is a film that I feel like it knows how to do slapstick comedy in a way that having watched a bunch of Blake Blake Edwards, and I think this is, this, this may offend you, but I just got to say it. I don't think he knows how to shoot slapstick comedy. What? <laughs> I think there's, like, in watching his films, there's way too many, like, slow motion crashes. And, like, I just feel like they're... Yeah, I just, I don't feel like... Like the way that slaps, because I love good slapstick comedy, but I feel like a lot of times it just, I don't feel the visceral, like the way that the slapstick comedy works in The Nice Guys. Yeah. Like, I, like when he's falling, I really feel it. <laughs> like, there's some, like there's some, there's something kinetic in the way that that, that, that slapstick comedy plays out. But a lot of this is like, and and I think maybe this is just a difference in our tastes. Like I don't know if we. I think you probably said it before we got on the air, but you were talking about how in Blind Date, John Larroquette <laughs> plays a guy who keeps driving, driving his car into buildings, and you're like, "That's great!" And I'm like, "I well, because like I, I think like let, well, it's first off, I think it's funny because like when I saw the Nice Guys, I like when those scenes were going on, I was like. Oh, Shane Black is totally a fan of Ten. Like this is so Ten. This is so like Dudley Moore hitting, then falling down the cliff, <laughs> trying to. Sp- and it, because it's all those big houses like on the hills in L.A., like it feels like the same types of people that are being spoofed in a Blake Edwards and and Shane Black movie. And like I think like Blake Edwards is the type of comedy like it's a kind of slapstick I like, which is sort of like. Not the favorite, but and it's kind of what I also what I like about Jerry Lewis and Mike Myers, even like the love guru in the movies everyone hates, but I really like, is the ability to take a joke and then make it go on a little longer than it needs to be. And then to me, that's funnier. <laughs> so like watching a person fall down once, okay, but if they keep falling down 
and it just seems exhausting to me that's really funny like that's that's even funnier like having a joke go on like three minutes too long in a, for slapstick to me i'm like i'm in heaven like that is the kind of like i want to see someone breaking things and then keep breaking it to the point where there is no punchline it's just like you're just stuck in the hell of slapstick it feels like you're just it just you can't it's inescapable you're just gonna like like how long is the sequence of him getting drunk in this movie and not people not understanding and it goes on for like 20 minutes and he's got all the way to mexico and but then you get the payoff like it feels maybe like oh this is the same joke and we're still going but then you get the payoff of him waking up hung over to the mariachi band and looking totally confused and that payoff is so good it's so worth that 20 minutes of the one joke of him just getting drunk <laughs> and like i think like i agree there's people that are better at kind of a more concise slapstick but i like that kind of freeform broad slapstick that Blake Edwards brings that is definitely testing for a lot of people. And a lot of people do not think it's funny to just kind of sit and wallow and drown in a slapstick moment. Yeah, well, I'm far more than being critical of the slapstick in this film. I am critical of people who are on podcasts who argue against something being funny to someone who finds it funny. <laughs> so let's just chalk that up to, to taste. And since we're here to celebrate this film, <laughs> since it is a consistent quality in Blake Edwards, what the thing that I think of as not as not being good is the thing that you think of as being good. And because it's the ethos of our of our podcast, you your your opinion takes the day on on that one. So let's because I, because if other if you like I figure if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you like Blake Edwards in the movie Ten, and. Uh, you know, my, my, my point's been made. You can watch it and you can decide for yourself, <laughs> which I encourage you to do. I, I actually encourage you to do a deep dive on Blake Edwards because whether or not you come out loving him like, like Brian does or you come out appreciating him in a new way and maybe being a little bit more criti critical of him, um, he's definitely done enough so that he should be in the conversation. Yeah. And I think like comedy more so than most genres, it really is like depending on who you are, like, especially with slapstick, like some people think all slapstick is dumb, no matter how well any filmmaker does it. You just think it's stupid to watch, like you want something that's more verbal and witty and this is lowbrow. And so you're never going to find these movies funny. You know, it's just like, it really depends on the like, humor is so subjective. It's just like, there's movies that people love that people think are really funny and I'll watch it and not laugh at all and go, huh, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> so it's like, I don't, like, there's just something about humor. Cause it's like with horror, if something like jumps out at you, you're going to jump back. Like whether you thought it was scary or not, just like that kind of the idea of a shock or if there's something really sad, you're going to kind of feel sad, but like humor, you know, like, yeah, like I totally can't argue with you that you don't think the slapstick in this is any well, is not very well done because it's just depends on who you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can you can you just just because you mentioned it, is there some film that you can think of that, that everyone thinks is funny that when you watch it it just leaves you cold? Uh, Not to talk negatively um, about it, but just to give the barometer on what yeah, your taste is. Like I remember when I saw Napoleon Dynamite in a the theater, everyone in the theater was in uproarious laughter. And I just felt so weird. I just felt like, is there something wrong with me? Like, why am I not laughing? And, every, and like and then afterwards everyone's like that movie's the best it's so funny and I'm like I don't get it I don't understand what's funny 
I don't understand. And it made me feel inadequate. Like I didn't hate the movie. I hated myself being like, I wish I could have been having a good time with everybody else. But I didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> so, like, it's that, but I mean, for those that love it, I can't say, no, that movie's not funny. You're wrong. You know, because they clearly they left. So it was funny to them. It's it's like it's the, it's an interesting thing with comedy. It's just like you can never I can never truly hate a comedy because if 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 someone says it's a comedy and one person thinks it's funny, then it succeeded. Like then it's what it's supposed to do and it just wasn't for me, I guess, you know. I need to know what you think about What's Up Doc. You have to watch this film. <laughs> I just can't even it's so weird to me that this is the like you ins- this is your line that you refuse to cross. I think when it comes to Ryan O'Neill, you've you you just celebrated so fine. You just on this podcast so everyone could hear celebrated so fine, but you refuse to see this master. I don't know why. There's something about that movie that I always looked at and go, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like I've only recently gotten into Barbara Streisand. Like so, definitely there was like a time where I was like, I don't know if I'm interested in Barbara Streisand or not. But then I watched her version of A Star Is Born and loved it a lot. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get why people like her so much. So I definitely need to like go into it. Like, get, well, get into seal it, like... the deal. Watch what's up, Doc, and steal the de- seal the deal. But we're not. Let's not waste all our time. I just I need to make this may just be a running bit on the show where for the next three years I try and get you to watch what's up, Doc, while the audience is like, who's, who's seen this film is like, what's his problem? Why is he? Why? Well, but but so I guess in relation to it, a great post ten movie that exists is they all laughed by peter bogdanovich with your with john ritter and ben gazera and audrey hepburn and that's a good sort of like middle-aged slapstick for adults sex and slapstick movie like i definitely feel like that exists because of 10 and it's so good i love that movie yeah it's one of those films it's just a little because of the because of the the dorothy stratton murder (laughs) and everything it's just like it's such a weird It's very, it's just a resin. It's very, it, you you couldn't have a, it's more diametrically opposed quality of film to context of film. <laughs> you know, just like that is a film that doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have any room for sadness or necessarily yeah. like this profound compassion for this actress. Yeah. And when you watch it, you can't help but feel that. So it's weird. It's just like the whole time I watch that movie, I just want to like find some way to get her off the set and get her to another country. <laughs> but so it's very and it still makes you sad forty years later. <laughs> Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. That make that's interesting. Yeah, it, it does, it does. Yeah. I don't know. I just because. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's brutal yeah. and and. And that's all. That's the only film we had, and I don't know. Anyway, was the only film you uh, had <laughs> of of Dorothy Stratton? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, so, anyways, bet. Let's go back to ten. We we we. Were, sorry, uh, sorry. This, this got this got dark. So, uh, let's talk about um, the people in this movie. There's some really good people in this movie. Um, Dennehy! Dennehy! I was about to say, Brian fucking Dennehy <laughs> is so cool in this movie. Like, I want a movie about that guy, about that character. Like, where's the the fan fiction spinoff? Because he plays the, the cool bartender at this Mexican hotel. Which is a real hotel, by the way, that you can go visit. And I need to do that. But, like, he... Uh, 
is this bartender and he's just sort of like there to kind of listen to Dudley Moore's bullshit and get him drunk. Just feed, feed alcohol into Dudley Moore. But like, is this like, what did Brian Dennehy do before this? Like, I can't think of a movie that he's in before this. Like I did, I know him. I'm in- pretty sure this is, I'm pretty sure this is one of the first, uh, let's see here. Cause like, I remember him in the eighties a bunch, like in the FX movies and like just like going forward, Brian Denny like was around, but for this, like this definitely feels sort of like a star making role in a way, because he's so instantly likable and so totally believable. You know, it's it's like it's, and this is a character that's in a lot of these Blake Edwards movies. There's a bartender character that John Ritter talks to a lot in Skin Deep. This is definitely like goes into the relationship of sad guy, sad middle aged guy, and his good friend the bartender. <laughs> Well, actually, uh, <clears throat> probably the first place that you remember him showing up, although he was on a bunch of TV shows, he was in an episode of Kojak, an episode of MASH, uh, an episode of Lucan, the Wolf Boy, <laughs> which was, I was a big fan of from 1977. But you probably remember him showing up as one of the football players uh, in Semi Tough. Yeah. That's where he first showed up. And in uh, as a surgeon and looking for Mr. Goodbar, then he's in uh, Fist the Sylvester Stallone film. He plays a character in Foul Play. And then in 79, shows up as Donald, a very soulful bartender with, I got to say, as someone who's been a bartender with a terribly stocked bar, you look at it like he's got like five bottles in front of him. Don't ask this guy to make you a a gin drink because I don't think his bar has gin. I think he's got rum. He's got brandy. He's got some uh, Kahlua. (laughs) It's like, it's the worst. He's better be a good talker because he's got the worst stocked bar. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if if it's not a rum and Coke or you're not going to be able to get it. (laughs) And I guess this is maybe before over serving was a thing that anyone cared about because like, you're giving an already completely drunk Dudley Moore a whole lot more alcohol for the entire movie. <laughs> like when Dudley Moore walks to your bar, yeah, and his for a drink, drinking sh- is really. <laughs> yeah, did it, did it stress you out? It stressed me out. How does he just pours the brandy down his face? Like he, the guy does. He does not enjoy. This is someone. It's weird. This is something that you see in films and maybe. Like as a kid, you just don't, it doesn't register, but as an adult, it does. People who just guzzle their alcoholics. Drinks. <laughs> well, no, but, but they're not portrayed as that. Like if you know anyone who drinks like that, they don't look like that. Yeah. They are a mess. <laughs> anyone who drinks like, who can, who drinks, who just pours double brandies, <laughs> like multiple into their face yeah. after already drinking and then going on to continuing to drink. Like alcoholics don't drink like like I've worked as a bartender. Nobody drinks like that. I've, I've known some people that drink like that, and they don't seem to enjoy the thing. They just it is, they drink it like it's a glass of water. I don't know why. It's everyone's different. I guess I'm a sipper. I take for to take a drink. It takes me an hour to finish any drink, even if it's a beer. My drinks always get warm in the end because I just I like to taste it. <laughs> yeah. Uh... It's just, it's very, it's, it's definitely stressful for me to watch the way he, 
he drinks the that brandy. yeah like a deadly uh, more uh, but maybe it's an english thing we'll get I, into it and in talking about the horse's mouth yeah, next week I, I think it is like i feel like you can definitely see dudley moore and oliver reed having like a naughty night out you know and lasting all night into the next day and just like <laughs> raising hell just little drunk british guys <laughs> I think if I was Dudley Moore, I'd be afraid to be drinking with Oliver Reed. You figure if he got drunk enough, he'd think you were an appetizer and just like eat you. Yeah, or pick you up and just throw you as far as he can throw you. Yeah. <laughs> the other person I really love in this movie is Max Showalter as as the Reverend. <clears throat> he is so funny. And there's a scene where he plays this terrible song that I guess Blake Edwards made Henry Mancini write. And plays this, I got a song for you, plays it for the character of George, who is a an award-winning popular songwriter. And that part is so good. It's just Dudley Moore just trying to, not even trying. He cannot keep a straight face listening to this reverend song. And Max Schoelwald is great. Like, you'd recognize him in, he's in the best scene in Lord Love a Duck, where he's really excited about his daughter getting all these different clothes. He's the uh, grandfather in Sixteen Candles, which I think was his last movie. Um, I love him and I love him in this movie and this, and that scene is so good. That's see, that's some good classic Blake Edwards slapstick old lady with shaking hands, slowly carrying in tray, then dropping it after like two minutes. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Man. Uh, That one worked. (laughs) That one landed. Yeah. That court. Punctuated by an old lady fart. Yeah, joke. and a dog beating joke. <laughs> so that yeah. that scene goes all in. <laughs> so if you, if you don't think one thing's funny, maybe you'll think one of the other three things is funny. Um, then uh, you have in, in one of his early roles, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon, uh, plays uh, Bo Derek's sort of like bimbo husband. Uh, and he's really funny. Like he's he barely has any lines, but like he's very instantly recognizable. If you've seen Flash Gordon and love it, you're like, yep, that's that's Sam Jones. This must have been his first movie, right? Like he he's so yeah, young looking here. And what's crazy is what Flash Gordon I think was eighty. So the next year he's the star. Yeah, so right movie. after this. <laughs> and and then like going back to it, I think that D Wallace is really good. Like this like this is before E.T. Uh, before the howling <clears throat> and she's just so sympathetic like i think she may be my favorite side character in this movie and like that yeah the scene where she tries to sleep with uh george and it fails is so tragic and she does it so well and she's so good and yeah i love her so much and especially in this movie i think she's great she's definitely the most sympathetic yeah. character and i would say the portrayal of her by the film makes Blake Edwards more sympathetic to me. And I think maybe this is something to talk about. There's something about... So in in a lot of these films, his middle-aged guy films, you have these... Like, overall, you'd say that they're... I think, judging by today's standards, they are hallmarks of a certain kind of toxic male Mm -hmm. privilege around sex. So there's that. But then they also have these very loving portrayals of gay characters Mm -hmm. and moments of really deep sympathy and thoughtfulness towards 
some of, towards some of the female characters. Mm-hmm. And Dee Wallace strikes me as yeah. one of those. Like she has these opportunities. We're talking with Brian Dennehy when she sees that Dudley Moore is starting to make time with Bo Derek. Like about like why is it that you know older guys can get distinguished and when a woman becomes older, she just gets old. And instead of putting some nice button on it, Brian Dunn, he's like, yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> and there's just, like, you feel like the movie's saying yeah. that. The movie is looking, is, is commenting on yeah. the movie and saying, and I guess that's where I, I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see, like, considering how things go with Bo Derek and Dudley Moore, I feel like the evening that, Brian Dennehy and Dee Wallace have just hanging at the bar talking is going to be far more satisfying. I wish they had just stayed there and then Dudley Moore had come back to the bar and been like, yeah, that did not work out. One, a one act play perhaps in the making. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yes, uh, she's great. And I, and she is, I, yeah, I think she's probably the most Definitely. sympathetic character I, I, in, the, I agree. in the movie. Yes, for sure. Yeah, her and the and the gaseous old lady who can't. I don't know why they make her bring that tea in and the table's t- so short. Why don't they make the t- put it on a taller table for her? That just seems unfair. If they do that every day, that's just I, that's terrible. And I don't know the actor's name, but I also really like the dude in the kitten shirt who's standing in the water with his drink, where Dudley Moore is carried to. <laughs> I like that guy. That guy's probably gonna be be me on vacation. Kitty cat shirt, standing and drink with drink and water, just not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go back and watch for that one. Did not see it. Well, what's interesting about Did this movie is originally it was supposed to star our old friend from the Hot Rock, George Siegel, and George Siegel was going to be the star of this movie, but he didn't like that. I guess Blake Edwards added a scene for Julie Andrews. And he was just like, ah, this is just a husband giving his wife a bunch of like this. I'm just like, like I'm just here to serve his wife. This is crap. And he quit. George Siegel walked off the set of the movie, and never returned. <laughs> and and was sued and, for yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and I mean, I clearly feel there must have been more to it than that. I feel like there, it's weird that that would be the reason to just completely throw it all away. But then what's interesting is then the same thing in a way happened on Arthur. He was the star of Arthur, but then was replaced by Dudley Moore. And then, here, this is where it gets weirder, the Barbara Streisand film The Mirror Has Two Faces was originally supposed to have Dudley Moore in it, and she replaced him with George Siegel. What is it about those two that are interchangeable for Hollywood? Because in my mind, they are not alike at all. Like, So I don't get it. What's the George Siegel-Dudley Moore connection? Or they can both play drunks really well, or like you know, like is that it? <laughs> like, because George Siegel did a good job in California Split of playing a guy who can drink a lot. Maybe that I, I don't know what it, what is your take on that? Well, first of all, I just can't like I can kind of imagine I can imagine this film with George Siegel. Yeah, it would be weird. I it, I have questions. Like, did they add the fact that he's a hit songwriter? Yeah, yeah. After they like when they recast Dudley Moore, because that seems weird, because that seems like such an essential part. There are all these scenes with him writing music with his songwriting partner. Like, is George Siegel a good singer and a piano player? (laughs) Or would he have just been one of those would have been one of those things where there's the actor at the piano and you hear he's just moving his fingers and you hear someone else playing. (laughs) So that's weird. And then 
I just can't even imagine like George Siegel and Arthur. No. <laughs> that that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. That that just that I I don't even I don't get that at all. Yeah. That's that is that is weird. That is weird. I have I have to say I have not seen the mirror has two faces. So I. I don't know about. I can't. I can't comment on how I would feel about Dudley Moore in that. So we, so we um, both have Barbara Streisand movies we need to watch for homework, is what you're saying. Yeah, but I'll watch <laughs> The Mirror Has Two Faces today if you'll watch What's Up Doc today. I, <laughs> I'm a better student than you are. Neener neener. Uh, so okay, actually, while we're talking about, let's let's talk a little bit about Dudley Moore. Are you? Were you are you a fan of his English oh, stuff yeah. before oh, yeah. ten? Yeah, like the stuff he did with Peter Cook is so good. Like I love me some. Uh, what was the what was the witch one? Uh, what was the one called the the wishy? Uh, bedazzled. bedazzled. I, I kept wanting to say bewitched. Bedazzled is a great movie. When they're flies, it's really funny. Uh, there's the weird uh, Paul Morrissey movie where they play Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Like they're were, were they part of the Goon Show? They were. They weren't, but like they were part of around that. They were part of that group. The, Beyond, Beyond the, fringe. the fringe. Yes, they right. had a a group called Beyond the Fringe that was a goons. Basically, in between the goons and Monty Python, yeah. you have Beyond. And the there's fringe. a really good early SNL that they both hosted, that Peter Cook and Dudley Moore hosted. That's great, and it really showcases their their dynamic and kind of their kind of stage presence. And so I, I I've always loved Dudley Moore, and I love Arthur. And there's just something about like just tiny little drunk Dudley Moore. It's I find him so funny. Like I just think he's like he just is funny. Like he just is funny without saying anything. Uh, like yeah, I I love him a lot. I'm having a hard time. I'm trying. What's the name of their com- the comedy records they put out? Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. <clears throat> oh yes, well yeah, Derek and Clive. Have you have you heard the Derek and Clive not, stuff? No. It's basically Peter Cook and Dudley Moore playing with like an early cassette recorder and they just they're just getting drunk and riffing <laughs> it's like like a very like a an english much more scatological version of uh the 2000 year old man <laughs> with mel brooks and carl reiner that sounds good <laughs> oh totally yeah. testing testing oh, no no don't taste any longer no. uh, i'll tell you the worst job i ever had what was that? The worst job I ever had was with Jane Mansfield. You know, she's a fantastic bird, you know, yeah, a big yeah. tits, huge bum and everything like that. But I had the terrible job of retrieving lobsters from her bum. Really? Bloody hell, that must have been a task. Boy, it's quite a task, because she had a big bum and there were well, big I remember, lobsters. I remember she had a huge bum. Well, she had one and, uh, you know, presumably in the afterlife, uh, oh, shut dear. up. She still has one. But I have to used to go round, you know, of an evening yeah. when Jane was sleeping, or sort of comatose, like yeah, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. you know, just lying there. Comatose, comatose to her head. <laughs> comatose to her head. Shut up. <coughs> and uh, I had to retrieve these lobsters from her arsehole. Yeah, well, I remember she had a lot of trouble with with lobsters up her arsehole. Well, you see, the lobsters basically she suffered. 
from uh, what was known in, in the medical trade as lobsters up the arsehole. Well, this is what it said scientifically, you yeah. know, lobsters up the bum, you mm. know, this is a scientific uh, term for it. But, you know, in general terms, it is known as lobsterissimus and bumbacissimus. Yeah, yeah. And it was my job every evening to go around to Jane, mm. who was a sweet girl. Yeah. Sweet, charming, shy, mysterious girl. Yeah. And get these fucking lobsters out of her arsehole. Yeah. Which is so tricky because she was a very sensitive woman, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I used to go around there every evening, and these lobsters, you know, she used to go out bathing in Malibu. Yeah. Which is where she used to go out bathing, you yeah. know. Yeah, oh, Malibu, yeah. Malibu, yes, Malibu de bum bum. And um, up went the lobsters, boing, straight up her arsehole. Well, I think, you know, I think she brought it on herself, really, didn't she? <laughs> Not so much brought them on herself so much encouraged them, you know, yeah, by yeah. the flagrant display which she got up to. Well, I think she was a dirty car. Well, I mean, being... no, 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 be fair. Be fair. You can call her a dirty cow, but, let's face it, a lot of lobsters fancied her bum. Yeah, well, I think, uh, let's face it, I think it was a 50-50 arrangement. I think yeah, that, uh, I, the, I lo the lobsters didn't say... We have the upper hand. No. Jane didn't say we have the upper hand. There was no, there was no feeling of uh, domination. No, it was a 50-50 thing. I think the lobsters got quite a nip out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think Jane got a lot out of it. Yeah, but it was my job. My job to retrieve the lobsters from her bum after the event. What event? post hoc to proc. But post what? post hoc to prompt. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. what it is in Latin, you know, what? getting lobsters out of people's bums. Oh, post up the prompt, yeah. 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 Well, when, uh, but she was a sweet girl and I wouldn't knock her. Well, I gather you wouldn't, no. No, I gather I wouldn't. I'm but like, I'll tell you one thing Tony Newley said to me. What was that? Who are you? Yeah, just like that. Just like that, and I thought that made Tony Newley a, a wonderful human being. They're great, they're great. <laughs> uh... And there's a really, uh, I don't know if say it's good, but there's a there's definitely a worthwhile biopic of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Basically, Peter Cook was generally regarded as the brilliant one. And Dudley Moore was sort of the lucky little guy who got to be a part of the Peter Cook show <laughs> in England. But then Dudley Moore came to America and became a huge yeah. star. It's definitely a very English story where... In England, people look at Dudley Moore coming to to America and being in 10 as being a step down and a sort of example of how lowbrow America yeah. is because America decided to make Dudley Moore the star <laughs> instead of Peter Cook. But I think there's something... I would. It would be very interesting to see 10 with Peter <laughs> Cook as Well, you know, I also love movie. slapstick with tall, lanky people, <laughs> so... Like, do you ever see what was the that Stephen Merchant show from HBO? Hey, hey, hello, ladies. That's like he's what yeah. six five or six seven, and seeing someone who's tall and lanky fall down, it's it's surreal. I love it. There's something special that it's rare. You don't get that because most slapstick people are about three stooges height. I think they're all like five four, five three, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> but. I think I think it's, it makes sense that Dudley Moore's a star because to me Dudley Moore's sexier. There's there's more of a sex appeal to Dudley Moore than Peter Cook. Like Peter Cook has the intelligence, but there's something just kind of like 
sexy about Dudley Moore. I don't know what it is. No, it, I, it, I yeah, no. Peter Cook would have played it much more like he hates his wife and wants to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we would be we would be frightened for for everyone who yes. interacts. And he and then he would and he wouldn't have been he wouldn't make fun of Bo Derek for being too sexually promiscuous, but he would make fun of her for misunderstanding the meaning of bolero and <laughs> launch into a, a long diatribe about how lowbrow Ravel is <laughs> until she fell asleep. <laughs> anyway, no, she wouldn't fall asleep. She'd be laughing until the end. They'd be like great friends by the end yeah. of the night. Anyway. And then I guess that brings us to Julie Andrews, who's the other main person in this movie. And, uh, and it's really interesting to me. Because I have found when watching this movie that the women really like her a lot and really get it. And a lot of the men who watch it don't get it and don't like her <laughs> and don't understand. And they're like, yeah, he should be with Bo Derek. Why, why is he with Julianne? You know, just like it's an interesting dynamic of, with the people that I've watched this with. Um, and, and, like, and it is this is it, it's, it's not a big role for Julie Andrews because it's he sort of like bookends the movie in a way. And it's definitely sort of her, this was kind of looked at as her big comeback. Like this is Blake Edwards giving his wife sort of like a, a come, come back into movies again, Julie Andrews, which then is a relationship that continues into the 80s. Um, but like he is like, George is definitely a jerk to Samantha. <laughs> like even when she throws him a birthday party at the beginning of the movie, he's a dick about it. He's not nice to her. And you wonder at the end, maybe they shouldn't have gotten back together. <laughs> maybe it. <w> <laughs> no, they definitely should not have gotten back together. That's. I, it's weird. It's like I. Like I don't feel like he should have ended up with Bo Derek. Yeah. He should have had the affair with Bo Derek that he was gonna that he went there to have because that's how things would have gone in re like that. There's no way that's. I just don't believe that scene. I don't with believe what? it. I, when he. When he goes to all this trouble to get to Bo Derek, she throws herself at him. And because she throws herself at him, like he, fall, he fell for her when she was on her way to her wedding. So now we're supposed to believe that because she's willing to sleep with him while her new husband is asleep someplace else, that he's going to suddenly be like, wait, <laughs> what about what about marital fidelity? Think, I'm sorry, you're inconsistent. To, I don't believe you to me that anymore. That's, but let me just say, I find on. that very believable. I find that scene to be very real to me. Like I feel like this definitely happens with men who try to cheat on their wives. It's like you have this the, the guilt that sets in. You know, when you think about your children or your girlfriend or whatever. I really, I totally believe that moment. Yeah, but he he wasn't thinking about his children or his girlfriend. He was thinking about her cheating on his on her husband who you have to like he followed her into her wedding <laughs> but I, to stare at her so there's clearly something about the fact that she is married to somebody else that is part of the turn on that it's not like this is new information this is the fir the first shot of her we know she's with someone <laughs> yeah. else he's going after her he's like I, yeah I, anyway so but we're talking about Julie Andrews so the point is for me, I find her one like I do find her to be one of the more sympathetic characters yeah. in the film, but I feel like the film doesn't know how to deal huh. with her, which is weird because she's Blake Edwards' wife. 
And maybe that's part of it. But when I get to the end and they get back together, I'm like, these two never had any chemistry. They never <laughs> will have any chemistry. She should... This is, she should watch A Change of Seasons <laughs> with Shirley MacLaine and Anthony Hopkins and see what she, what she could be getting up to on her yeah. own. Well, what's, what, to me, what's interesting about the movie is that like you don't really... And it, it must be intentional. You don't really get an understanding of what their relationship was like when it was good. Because it kind of starts with it already not being not working so well because it's like they he has this surprise party that he is not happy with they get in an argument at bedtime with over him using the word broad and and then she storms away and then you have them kind of frustrated that they're both at work and they can't each other on the phone so you don't get the moment of like this was really good and why is he throwing all of this away and he should go back with her but that has to be intentional i don't know why i haven't quite the many times i've seen this i haven't quite wrapped my brain around why that is but i definitely the more i watch it i do like them together even when they bicker and argue you can see i i feel chemistry in that scene of them not getting along <laughs> i'm like oh this feels like i get like this like i can see this conversation in a positive way of like if they weren't talking about a thing mad at each other i can see how their back and forth works in a way it, well the, i mean the subtext is there um, to me the heartbreaking part of that is she says well would you rather argue or make love and he continues arguing. <laughs> to me, that's the moment when he basically, like, it doesn't matter what he says. The argument doesn't yeah. matter. Like, she's just thrown him this party. Yeah. They're in bed together. There's this whole thing where she, like, so this is, again, part of the way the movie is trying to, like, make her, I can't tell what the movie thinks about her. But she every scene in the movie, she's brawless. And you can see she has these... Like her nipples are, <laughs> she's very, she's in bed. She's attractive. She's very, she's very not Mary Poppinsy. Yeah. Very not uh, Sound of Musicy. She is a, 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 an attractive woman in this negligee who's his wife and saying we can make love or argue, and he just wants to keep yeah. arguing. And it like it, to me that's like this real <laughs> kink in the armor for me. <laughs> Or chink in the armor for me as of his being a likable character. It's like to me, to you don't want to like, you just don't like sex. No, what is this? Is a I, sex comedy about a guy who hates? Sex. I don't think so though. I feel that scene is that hap moment has happened to every relationship ever. I feel like there's there's so many. It's true. Or maybe all relationships where the men would rather be right in the conversation as opposed to just being like. Just let it go. Just like your wife is here for you. She wants to have sex with you. But you have to be so right about everything, which is such a male thing of just like, I have to be correct. And I have to have the final say in this argument. And to me, like I've had those 3 a.m. arguments, right? Which is so locked in. on like, but I must be heard and I must be right when I should have just had sex. <laughs> like I should have just done that instead. And to me, it doesn't make him unlikable. And I, I don't think in any part of this movie is he unlikable. To me, he's like very genuine like i feel like the mistakes he make like this movie is kind of like a warning to like men is like and all of this genre to me is sort of like a red flag of like you think you're cool you think you can have sex with all these people but you really should just stay with the person who understands you the most and and that's why this movie reminds me so much mostly of eyes wide shut because i feel that's exactly what that movie is and to me that this yeah. and that movie are the same movie like you can run them simultaneously and i feel in a way they'll hit the same beats 
And so maybe Stanley Kubrick was a big fan <laughs> of 10, having worked with Peter Sellers, maybe followed the career of Blake Edwards, you know? Uh, but like that movie, again, what's interesting about Eyes Wide Shut in starring our, our favorite lady, uh, Nicole Kidman, you never really get an understanding for what made that relationship work between the two characters of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It, but the movie basically starts with them flirting with other people at a party. Then they have an argument and then he goes off and decides that he can have sex with everybody and have this adventure. Fails, 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 and then comes back to his wife, who says, let's have sex. Same ending as 10. She doesn't say, let's have I know. sex. Well, I don't say those, she doesn't say, let's don't have say sex. those words. <laughs> My mom could be listening to It's the line in the film. It's the line in the film. Why are you taking away her agent? Honestly, if Julie Andrews had said, let's fuck, I would have bought, like, I feel like that's part of it, is like... When he comes back, even the way that they were supposed to believe that they have sex again is so, like, it's sort of played for laughs. Like, I just don't, like, and again, it's this relationship of Blake Edwards to his wife in film as a sexual being. It's really, really odd to me. (laughs) Like, all the wardrobe choices seem designed to, like, try and amplify her body in like it's a choice to have her braless in all of these scenes in a way that is like okay she's yeah there there they are and then there's there's another scene where she's like when she comes and and sees him sees Dudley Moore at the party the naked mm-hmm. party across the way and she's wearing this full body denim jumpsuit and I'm again I'm I'm sorry if this is indelicate but <laughs> It is pulled so tight up her that you can see, you can see, it's like, yeah, you can see the toe of a camel, let's just say. And, and it just, and these are like, wardrobe choices are directorial choices. These are, you know, whether, or they're a combination of a directorial and an actor's choices. So there's this way of trying to play up her sexuality, Mm -hmm. but then it's but it's all in the wardrobe. Her performance is all no saying and sadness and and as I'm watching like I have compassion for her. I want her to be happier than she's ever going to be with this guy. But it's just weird. It's just it's and then we and then we follow it up. Like Julie Andrews is now going to be his main sort of acting collaborator going mm-hmm. forward. And I feel like like Victor Victoria does her uh, does her a lot uh, better service. Uh, I feel like SOB yeah. does her a lot better service. I feel like the man who loved women, she gets to like she the what's sexy about her becomes her voice and her manner and her intelligence as opposed to a form fitting <laughs> denim jumpsuit. I think it was just he was slowly building so I, it up. I think it was just like testing the waters. Like are, re- are people ready? for sexy, sexual, sexually liberated Julie Andrews. And then each movie kind of expands on it, you know? Yeah, it's... <laughs> so it feels like a toe not, dip, like, I do you know? Feel, like, like, I do feel like there's... Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like... It just feels Sorry. like a toe dip to me in this movie. It just feels like, can you accept this? Is this going to derail the movie? Is this going to distract everybody? And it didn't. People loved it. So then he opened it up more and more with each movie that he made with her. Yeah. I guess I just... I wish... In, in just if we're just talking about this one film, I wish there had been just 
you know, George Siegel be damned a little bit more, Julie Andrews. <laughs> if they're if like she goes on a date instead of with the instead of staying with Dudley Moore, but we don't follow her on to, into the yeah. date. We don't see how she re- reacts to having a guy actually yeah. pay a, pay good attention but to I her. But I think this movie, for the most part, you're with Dudley Moore the whole time. You know, so I feel it kind of is sort of a character study where you're just stuck with him whether you want to or not from beginning to end you know like it's like there's not a lot except when she's talking to it doesn't pass the Bechdel test because the only time she gets to exist outside of him is talking about him with With their yeah uh with with Hugh uh we haven't talked about he's great Robert Robert Weber as his sort of gay um uh collaborator in writing uh, songs and he's really fun. And he's also dealing with relationship problems in this movie because he's, he's he's with a younger man, and clearly there's some problems. And he's very there's there's he's there's some good acting from him in this movie. He's very very he's very likable as well. I would say he is other than D. Wallace, he's the most sympathetic character in mm-hmm. the film, like the one that I feel the most like. And it's funny because he's usually he usually plays characters that are unlikable. Yeah, kind of more tough, shitty. He usually guys. plays corporate <laughs> yeah. creeps, and yeah, you know, if he shows up in an episode of Mannix, you know, he's the bad guy. <laughs> Tro- totally, yeah, definitely. But in this, he he falls into this this pantheon of characters in Blake Edwards' films that are pretty woke in terms of their relationship to gay mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. Like like uh Dudley Moore says some shitty homophobic things to the to him, but you get and get the sense that they're going they're they just they're partners who give back and forth. But Robert Weber like totally cuts him down. Like when 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 Dudley Moore's trying to say these things, Robert Weber like is is quick to respond to it in a in a clever way. Yeah. And yeah, like Victor Victoria definitely has a lot of these queer characters. And then Sunset, we haven't really talked about that movie. That's sort of like at the end, the opposite end of this decade for Blake Edward. That was like 88, 89, I think. And that has uh, like uh, what Mariel Hemingway. And there's like this whole kind of lesbian world of Hollywood that's portrayed in that in that film. Which, by the way, of all of these, that's my favorite. It's- my that movie of the late so era <laughs> Blake Edwards films. That's another movie that no the world is wrong about that movie. Nobody's seen it, nobody cares. If you can find Sunset, check it out. It's got James Garner, it's got Bruce Willis actually being funny. It's a great love letter to like old Hollywood with a great kind of mystery plot and it's really fun and it's funny and like that to, I really think that's a masterful film as well. That was the film that you initially wanted to do and I hadn't <laughs> seen it and that's when I recommended 10 but there's a part of me that really wishes we were gonna we could give more attention and energy to sunset next so year that might be a future well, in a few yeah we'll pad this one out and once we feel like 10 is in our rear view mirror I, I would gladly do a sunset uh episode wow we unpacked that movie that was fun <laughs> i wanted to just spend a little bit of time uh talking about just blake edwards in general i know we got into a lot yeah. of it but we didn't really talk about SOB at all. And I feel like that also, I guess I, I, I shouldn't have said that um, Sunset is my favorite because SOB is just one of my favorite oh. movies. And that movie, the world is actually right about, like people are kind of keen on that movie now. Like that movie has done a total 360. Because when it came out, that movie was hated. People hated that movie. 
people did not like SOB. But now people really are looking back at that as like, oh, that's a really good satire on Hollywood. A lot of people look at that as Blake Edwards' most personal movie. It's sort of his vertigo. Like this is like his weird confession of of darkness and lightness. It's like like he was suicidal. He was trying to cut his wrist on a beach. A dog saved his life, just like in that movie. And so like it taps into so many things like with him. And yeah, that SOB is so good and so funny. Um, and George uh, Weber's in that one too, We're playing more the character that we think he like is a is a jerk. Um, Wait, George Weber? There's a character named George Weber in SOB. Oh, I'm sorry, not George Weber. Um, the uh, Robert Weber. Yeah, that film has the full, the full Monty of. Blake Edwards comedic collaborators and that movie is like the true that's the follow-up to 10 and that's definitely the movie where you felt like he made this hit and then he was like well fuck I can make whatever the movie I want I'm gonna make SOB (laughs) tell this town to fuck off because that movie's a big fuck you to Hollywood and I love it when people I love it when people do that when they get a movie that makes money and they follow it up with like the let's burn it all to the ground and if they don't let me make another movie that's fine movie <laughs> so like I really I really respect SOB in that regard because that's not not the movie that everyone who loved 10 wanted but I but I feel like and I guess maybe that's it is maybe this is one of those the world is wrong kind of moments is 10 is the film that allowed him to make SOB, but SOB, in retrospect, for me, it's more like SOB is the reason he had to make 10. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like It's possible. (laughs) If that's what it took, you had to have that much of a success after that much of a down. Like, basically, people had a really down attitude about him, and then he has this huge success making a film which, you know you with which you love and which I have find fault with but there it's certainly you know it's a a different kind of film and it has this big hit and a lot of the big hit came out of just the weird kismet of the reaction to Bo mm-hmm. Derek we haven't really sold that like how much the film was sold yeah. on Bo Derek it wasn't sold on Dudley Moore it wasn't sold on Julie Andrews it wasn't sold on Blake Edwards it wasn't sold on adult comedy it was sold on just the this amazing star phenomenon which was Bo Derek which was a very brief and fleeting thing and then he just sort of comes out of that as as like oh I can do whatever I want and instead of making another like obviously he wants to make these sophisticated sex comedies but instead instead of like going right into making The Man Who Loved Women or Skin Deep he goes into making you know what I really think about all you fuckers (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, because it probably was and, the thing where he failed and didn't. no one would call him except for, like, can you just make us another Pink Panther? That's all we want from you. Then he makes this huge hit, and then everyone pro- definitely came back and knocking at his door. And then he was probably like, where were you when I was down? I'm going to make a movie about how terrible you all are. <laughs> With everyone. I mean... <laughs> Like, it's just all these lovable, like, lovable character actors who were probably also not getting oh, work. Yeah. Larry oh. Hagman, Robert Loggia, yeah. Stuart Margolin, Richard Mulligan, Robert Preston, Loretta Swit, Robert Vaughn, Robert Weber, Shelley Winters, and Bill Holden and, jo- and Julie Andrews at the top. Yeah. yeah it's a... Uh, well, it, 
we're here to talk about 10, but we're also here to talk about Blake Edwards in yeah. general. So is there anything you feel like we left on the table about about Blake Edwards? Any last things you'd like to make sure that, like, if there's someone out there listening, like, you know what? I <laughs> I, I don't know anything about this guy. What else I mean, I like, out? you've seen the Pink Panther movies. A lot of those are really good. Like, Shot in the Dark is great. But, like, I, I feel like the stuff after 10 is the more interesting stuff. It's the more personal. It's, it's the more challenging. And, like... Even like, like check out Sunset. Like he knew Blake Edwards knew that Bruce Willis was funny and knew that he should have been in really good comedies, which was sadly kind of not the path Bruce Willis went down. He became a shoot people up with a gun guy. But like Sunset and Blind Date is Bruce Willis. This is like a prime moonlighting Bruce Willis being funny in in like you know in a movie. <laughs> and I, I and Victor Victoria I think is a movie that people take for granted and a lot of people maybe haven't seen it they've heard of it and know of it but it's also really fucking good and that's a movie that should definitely be watched if you've never actually seen Victor Victoria and just heard about it that is a great movie because he also knew how to use James Garner really well like 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 Rock yeah. this is some good post Rockford Files James Garner being awesome and just like the coolest dude ever in a movie. I think Victor Victoria is probably one of the most respected films of at least at least uh, in the podcast universe. I hear a lot of people giving credit to that film particularly because it was so ahead of its time in terms of dealing with queer topics for a straight filmmaker to be able to make this film I just think that spe- that really speaks to a modern audience in a way that a film like Ten. I can see why a film like Victor Victoria probably has more cultural resonance now than a <laughs> film like Ten. <laughs> Definitely, uh, like because movies like Ten became Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind. Like that's the new midlife crisis movie, and instead of Bo Derek, now it's like the kind of punky art girl that pulls the guy out of his midlife crisis slump you know so like this is definitely about a type of guy from 1979 and it's so it's dated in that way for sure but i think if you can just sort of like look beyond that and just look look into this movie it it is an interesting experience oh yeah it is definitely please don't get the idea that i'm not (laughs) that i'm unrecommending this film there is yeah. def- this is definitely I would say even go I would say go deeper. You should watch this film, watch Skin Deep, Man who Loved watch yeah. The Man Who Loved Women, and you should watch A Change of Seasons. Yeah. I it's a it it just fits in yeah. there as like um it like, really and, and this is not a, this is not meant to be a knock on it, but you look at it and you're like, Wow, this would have been I it makes me think of how ten could have turned out if Julie Andrews had got some of her own. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing. Like, so he does, I guess maybe let's just go back to this. So that's the thing. So he makes this whole point of portraying her in this very sexual way. But he does, like, just like a like the shitty husband that Dudley Moore is, he won't let her actually have an affair. Yeah. Like, Dudley Moore gets to go and chase after someone. She doesn't even get to lust after anyone. The only person we see her having any interaction with is Dudley Moore's gay friend. And she does accept a date, but they sort of downplay it as like this. He's like a guy who's not nearly as cool as George Weber. And I just wish that they had given her just a like 
She should have had an affair. She should have had like, I, it, oh, it pisses me off. After watching Change of Seasons, it just makes me feel like, oh, this is where this film could have gone. And it's funny because nobody ever talks about Change of Seasons. I've never even heard of that Like movie. I wouldn't even have thought of it. Yeah, you would. it has no cultural footprint whatsoever. But I feel like it's the, sorry, Blake Edwards, I, I do love a lot of your work, but I feel like it's the best iteration of this story. If you go, If you watch it, you'll sort of see how this, and it's the it, it's Bo Derek's follow up to Ten, so it almost feels like the director is saying yeah. that is saying, okay, I'm going to make the same movie, but I'm going to make a much more thoughtful, maybe and less funny version of. Hmm. So um, check that out. Anyway, highly recommend it. Highly recommend checking it out. Also, it at the very beginning it just has uh, the the opening credits are a scene of Anthony Hopkins. And a very naked Bo Derek <laughs> cavorting in a hot tub, and it just sort of is like right out front. It's like this is all your nudity. You, if you that's why you're watching this movie, just watch the credits, and then you can go to another theater, kid. Uh, and and but uh, and, and ten taps into the the tapped into the Hollywood porn world. There's a lot of famous if you if you have an eye for it, a lot of famous porn people are at. Uh, Dudley Moore's neighbor's house in the movie. You have Serena, you have Candida Royale, you have Constance Money, Dorothy LeMay, Desiree West, Annette Haven, and the great Jamie Gillis all having a naked party next door. And it kind of reminded me of, did you ever see 52 Pickup, the John Frankenheimer, Elmore Leonard movie? Yeah. Like that, that's another movie where like it tapped into the weird porn world where there's a lot of famous porn people just like in the background that you can, if you know who they are, you can recognize them. There's, I guess it just was a part of the scene that a lot of movies don't embrace that of like these people were also making movies at the same time. Movies that you maybe don't want to tell people that you know about, but we're going to put them in these movies kind of as extras in the background. <laughs> but it's funny because like if you're into those movies, you're like, oh, my God, that's Consta's money. Like she's really popular in adult movies. That's like a big star. But she doesn't even say anything. And she's just in the background. So I find that very amusing. Well, I just, you know, I just got to. Got to jump in here. You know, uh, I was in a little film from 1989 called Far From Home with Drew Barrymore and a bunch of other actors. And in that film, there's a scene where Drew Barrymore is watching two people have sex in a trailer. And one of them is 80s porn star Terry Weigel. Oh! Who was, uh, you know, who is now has been sometimes a friend of mine on uh, on social media because of our far from home connection. We didn't really meet at the time, although I then come in, my character comes and interrupts Drew Barrymore and is like, I know what you're watching. Do you like it? I don't say it like that. I'm a much younger character. So uh, I guess the last, I need to see, I've never seen that. I need to see that. Oh yeah. It's, it's, you um, should, it's right after you watch what's up doc. <laughs> I know I'm going to watch your movie first. I'm more excited about Terry no. than <laughs> It's than not Ryan as Neal. good. <laughs> I guess the last thing I want to talk about with this movie, like now that I think of it, is, the, is Henry Mancini. Yes. special that you'd run to 
This movie was nominated for an Oscar for its music. Uh, I, th I think for, I don't remember what song. But I, I kind of have a problem with the Henry Mancini music of the 80s Blake Edwards stuff. It just, it just isn't, it's not terrible. Or sometimes maybe it is terrible, but it's, like it do, it's not very memorable. And then once you get into Skin Deep, it straight up just feels kind of like, like, you know, like soft radio, you know, like dentist office music in a sad way. Like for a man who wrote so much, so many memorable hooks in music that we can recognize instantly, you know, I feel like it feels too relaxed. It kind of feels too adult contemporary to me. Like that's definitely what doesn't well, help. That's what they say about him in the film. They're like <laughs> Dudley. She says Dudley Moore. Oh, you you make elevator music. <laughs> and I wonder if that's is that Blake Edwards throwing a jab at Henry Mancini? Throwing a jab at Henry Mancini? Like, because it definitely the edge is lost. <laughs> like, do you agree? Like it's like it's not bad, but it's just kind of like I don't know. Well, it makes me think of two things. One. Uh, I'm wondering if that was the beginning of the term elevator music because he doesn't take like although he takes it as an insult it's not it's not a cultural thing as intended as an yeah. insult so I'm wondering if maybe the, this was the origin of that term and and yeah. then the other thing I just want to say is Henry Mancini also did the music for a change of seasons so, <laughs> so he is it more memorable? Than he this was just movie following, but he was just like, like, like the rest of the culture. He's like, wherever Bo Derek goes, I go as well. <laughs> and by the way, she's very good as an actor. She's very good in a, in this film with Anthony Hopkins and Shirley MacLaine and Bo Derek. She totally holds her own. Uh, is a totally believable actor, which makes you wonder what's wrong with John Derek that. He, <laughs> that he couldn't make her good in a movie. They just made her terrible. <laughs> yeah, in the movies that they made together. Don't ever watch those movies, people. There's a movie called Bolero with Bo Derek. It's terrible. Don't watch those movies. They're really, really, really bad. I mean, maybe someone can convince us. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe someone thinks those movies are great. I would love to hear the argument. Please find us on Instagram and say, tell us why Bolero is a great movie. Um. <laughs> I want to. I want to know. Or just go see a change of seasons because that is a very good film. Not directed by John Derrick. And for for those who are not aware, John Derrick is the actor producer Svengali. One of he was one of those guys. This is where I haven't done the research. What's the name of the the French director who was married to? Oh, Roger Vadim. Yeah, so John Derrick is like a wannabe Roger Vadim. Born on my birthday, strangely, August 12th. So he found Bo Derrick when she was very young and married her and basically controlled her career. And yeah. in a way that I, you know, I guess you could have got it, you got it, could get away with in the 70s and in a way that it just, I don't think it would work now. I don't think anyone would let, uh, some dude controlled their career the way that he yeah. controlled hers. But uh, if you're going to be talking about Bo Derek, you, you should probably, there should probably be at least a passing mention to John Derek. And yes, he was married to the actress Linda Evans. And also, oh yeah, so he was married to Ursula Andress, Linda Evans, and Bo Derek. Does, does he have a type? I think John Derek has a type. 
That's funny because there's parts of Boderic in 10 that remind me of Ursula Andress. Like I definitely, in my brain, made those connections. I didn't even know that John Derek was married to Ursula Andress. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, another fun fact about this movie, and this could be a weird alternate reality subplot. In the movie Tommy Boy, Brian Dennehy is married to Bo Derek. His character is married to Bo Derek's character in that movie. So I would like to think that those are the same characters from 10 that they somehow hooked up <laughs> and then made Chris Farley and <laughs> like went, or I guess Bo Derek's married into the family. But like that is an interesting little thing. If, if you've ever seen Tommy Boy, there's a little 10 coupling going on there. Well, I feel like we've done this movie a great service and done our, our listeners <laughs> an equally great service. There's a lot to explore. It's a whole world of film that we have that we're opening up to you. You want to explore the career of Bo Derek. You want to explore the career of Dudley Moore, going back to Derek and Clive and Beyond the Fringe. You want to explore the career of Blake Edwards, going back to the Pink Panther and all the way up through Sunset. I don't know what if Henry Mancini. Get, dig into some Henry Mancini. <laughs> Obviously, you know he's most well known for the Pink Panther score and for Peter Gunn. Done some great stuff. Yeah. Not just his, his 80s work, which we're not as big fans of. The the elevator uh, the elevator music <laughs> portion of his career. Cool. Yeah. Well, why don't we just uh, play one of our ads for some of our fellow Paperhouse compatriots and then come back and uh, tell you what you can look forward to next week. Hey, y'all. It's Amy from the Pink Among Men podcast. I know. You are really, really busy with your sourdough starter and your fourth rewatch of The Office. So it's totally cool if you don't have time for an informative, perspective-bending podcast right now. But if you do have a few minutes to spare in your jam-packed schedule, I want to offer Pink Among Men for your consideration. Pink Among Men is a weekly conversation on different perspectives, gender, and marginalization in the creative community. We chat with actors from shows you watch, directors who make movies that you want to watch, and comedians from stand-up shows that you'll probably never watch, but you should. Every Wednesday, they sit down to talk about the tragedy and the triumph that comes with not being a white dude in arts and entertainment. You probably don't have time for it, but maybe subscribe so you can listen when you're a little less busy. Get Pink Among Men on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're a proud member of the Paper House Network. Okay, well, Brian, we're recording this in uh, mid-November, and I am hungry for the next episode of The Director's <laughs> Wall, but rather than talking about what... Uh, well, you, you host another podcast called The Director's Wall with your co-host, AJ Gonzalez, and you talk about a filmmaker's full filmography. You started with M. Night Shyamalan. You're in the middle of Francis Ford Coppola, but you're teasing them out very slowly, so there's not a lot to talk about. But I'm curious, have you considered doing a director's wall about Blake Edwards? It seems like you would be yeah. the perfect person to do that. I think that that I feel has to happen. Like I feel like there's so much good stuff that people don't know about, and it's, and it's definitely one of the... Like, I hosted a screening of 10 Man of Loved Women, Victor Victoria, and SOB at a theater. And watching all those in a row was really rewarding. Like, you definitely can get into what he's getting into. And so I think it's definitely worth like definitely worth going through all his stuff in order and kind of watching him build this this kind of big big legacy. So like I, I, if AJ's game, I feel like that will definitely be thrown in the hat. Uh, it's, it's just sunny because it's like we can really only change... 
every few years because unless we're picking a director that's directed like two things, <laughs> it takes years to go through these people. So hope maybe by the time I'm fifty, we'll we'll have done a chapter on Blake Edwards. Is AJ a, a Blake Edwards fan? I don't know. I don't know. I've never talked to him about it. I, I can't. I would imagine he likes the Pink Panther movies, but maybe that's kind of. Oh no, he does love Audrey Hepburn a lot. So I can imagine he loves a Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like you have to if you love Audrey Hepburn. So, I think he definitely likes that movie. But in terms of the stuff we've been talking about today, I don't know. I should ask him. Because if you don't like it, that's going to be a sad 10 months of doing the director's wall. 10 months? <laughs> but, you know, 10 months? The way you, yeah, if you do. the way you guys come out with these? <laughs> you're looking at two and a half years. Well, if you just for the 80s stuff. It would take 10 months to go through the 80s oh, stuff. Oh, got it. Uh, if we're lucky. Uh, <laughs> Is there one... Uh, if you So, because people aren't going to be able to wait, you know, if, if you want to explore, begin your explorations of Blake Edwards... Is there one sort of buried gem other than the ones we've talked about, I mean, than 10, uh, that you feel like if you were going to say to someone, okay, if you know, you, you didn't, you might not even know that Blake Edwards did this, you should go check this out. Was there anyone that you'd send people to? Um, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of the ones we talked about definitely are into that. One that we didn't talk about that I think is really good is, uh, what did you do in the war, daddy? That was another one he did with uh, William Peter Blatty, and it's James Coburn and Dick Sean, and it's a and it's in Italy and it's a World War II comedy, and it's really good. It's really funny. He made it between the Great Race and the Party, two movies that people do know, but I think definitely check out What Did You Do in the War, Daddy. It's very very fun, very good. I feel like there was one other. I was just looking at his filmography that where he, there's another James Coburn film. Is there another one? Oh yeah, the the carry treatment. That's a weird yeah, one. Yeah, what's the deal with it's that? Because it's a it's a it's a it's adapted from a Michael Crichton novel, and it's just a drama about abortion, and it's a thriller kind of, and it has the most amazing poster. It's just James Coburn slapping <laughs> somebody. <laughs> that got that's that's what I saw. I was like, I don't know about this film, but this poster, I will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> James Hong is in it. It's one of an earlier James Hong roles. It's a weird... It doesn't quite work, but it's definitely interesting. That's definitely grouped into his sort of 70s failures, like the movies that nobody saw or cared about, which are also all fascinating. Like from Darling Lily, Wild Rovers, Carrie Treatment, Tamarin uh, Seed, none of them really work, but they're very fascinating and they're and they're good in their own way of just sort of like, this is interesting. So they, yeah, cool. Let's do a director's wall. I want people to see all these damn things. Yeah. But, so we can find you on your own podcast, The Radio 8 Ball Show, where you answer questions by picking songs at random. So, is there a, any at all Blake Edwards connection with any of the episodes you've done? He made a lot of movies. Is there anything that lines up? You know, I've been doing it for 20 years. And so... Uh... I guess if I had a midlife crisis, it's documented on the show. So there's that. <laughs> but maybe more specifically, and I guess also pretty randomly, Roseanne Arquette played a role in SOB, a film that we, we spoke about. And her sister, Patricia Arquette, was on Radio 8 Ball back in 2010. And she was on an episode hmm. and asked a question about uh, 
about, oh boy, it was, I think it was about a hurricane in Chile, but now I'm kind of, I've, about a, a, a natural disaster and her efforts to try and uh, to provide housing and food to people there. She's a very conscious and active individual, and she's someone who I met at a anti-war concert slash protest that was organized by Sarah Silverman's sister back in the early aughts, and we became, I guess, uh, co-justice fighters, I guess, and, and people who appreciated each other's work <laughs> and became friends for a while, and that's how that led to her being on the show. And you can find that if you search for Radio 8 Ball and Patricia Arquette. The band on that episode was a band called The Janks. Very, very cool band. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we have, we, we have some... We've had a few impressive people on the show. I mean, uh, like uh, Brian Connolly was on the show recently, and people went nuts. <laughs> and he was talking about 10 in this episode, so there's your connection. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, what are we... So what are we doing next week? We're doing... One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedies of all time, a film called The Horse's Mouth from 1958, starring Alec Guinness, written by Alec Guinness, directed by Ronald Neem, and it's available on the Criterion channel. So that's where you can find it and get yourself up to speed for our conversation about that next week. So great. And if you'd like to find us, you can find us at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Also on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us with any questions or comments or suggestions, you can find us at or you can uh, send us an email at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. And of course, we encourage you to check out the merchandise tab on our website and get yourself a "World Is Wrong," uh, the "World Is Wrong" T-shirt or sweatshirt or some other swag, so that you can express your your love for this show and your disdain for a world that is wrong. <laughs> and we are open to requests of movies. We might save up a bunch and maybe sometime next year do a bunch if they look interesting. Uh, recently, uh, Aaron Dawn uh, reached out to us on Instagram and asked if we would cover the movie The Unspeakable Act, a movie I've never heard of. You should watch the trailer, Andras. It looks really weird. <laughs> Something really interesting going on with this movie. So thanks for that request, Aaron. We will definitely, I think, check that one out. We might not cover it, but I definitely want to see it and maybe talk about it because it looks very interesting. Uh, it just it it seems like it might be a you know, it might be a negative for a, a audio format like this to try and talk about something which is unspeakable. And we can't we can't show it. We're supposed we're supposed to dance about it. Like how? So that's great. Uh, but I will I will watch the unspeakable act, although I will not speak about it. Uh, so, okay. Well, uh, I think, I think we've, we really, this is a, one of our longer episodes. So just, uh, if you were going to rate this episode on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate it? I rate it at a five because I don't go higher than five. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Blake Edwards. Five is as high as I'll go. That's it. But I get to five. Well, so that's pretty good. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to give this a 10. 
This the episode <laughs> on ten is a ten. <laughs> and uh, with that, having delivered that summation, I just want to remind you folks that uh, wherever you are, and I mean wherever you are, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. Oh, my God. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? We got a call from a Miss Taylor. What's Sam? She said she spoke to this house. A strange man answered the phone. No, I have a She said the man spoke gibberish, made obscene sounds. Miss Taylor was afraid that Mr. Weber, the tenant, might have met with foul play. I'm sorry, I'm your Weber. Prescriptions made out to G. Weber. Do you know Mr. Weber? You got panel. You got panel. I think he wants to write something. Oh. No. George Weber. I've just come from the dentist where I had six cavities filled. I have identification in the house. Six? You better take it easy. Pain pills and alcohol don't mix. You fool me. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.